0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who can't stop thinking about a man he walked past 30 years ago. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Hello, London. So good to be back. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. But uh, I was talking to Tim Key the other day. <laughs> It's a little uh, cartoon character, Timki, from the Eastern European. He calls it Rellist. I so don't that, know that's going to catch on. Uh, so uh, uh, the third week in a row, uh, sorry, fifth week in a row, that I've, um, I've uh, driven in my electric car, because they told us the petrol crisis would only last ten days, so it's lasted longer than ten days, certainly in London. Every garage I've passed, petrol station I've passed for the last three drives has been closed every single time. How is anyone in London? How are there any cars moving in London? I don't understand it. There's, there's, it's uh, get, get an electric car like I've got, that's what I say. But, uh, get, get an electric car, that's good. Um, and uh, yeah, look, uh, my, uh, my books, I've got two books out at the same time. One of them's out right now, for the people here. But if you listen to this at home, they're both out. Uh, Rich Terring's Would You Rather uh, and the uh, paperback version, The Problem With Men, out on November the 4th, just in time for International Men's Day, whenever that is. <laughs> so buy both of those. Uh, my book, Would You Rather, uh, is uh, this week was number one in the Amazon snooker charts. <laughs> Yeah, it was ahead of the Queen's Gambit. And think how much snooker there must be in that. <laughs> it's a very exciting. I think there is one question about snooker in my maybe it just maybe it just has finds the word snooker in your book and it's about so I don't know. I may be I may be wrong. Um, and I've been yeah, I've been thinking about this uh, I don't know if it's because I'm exercising a bit or uh, but I've, I've realised that over the last 30 years I've been thinking about a man that I just walked past, I heard him say two sentences and I still think about him very regularly. I'm going to try and tell this story succinctly, uh, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, it, was, uh, it was like the early 1990s, um, I was in Richmond and I'd met up with some university friends to play rounders. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could play rounders again. It's, I think it was the last time I ever played rounders. Uh, I don't remember rounders. Does anyone play rounders anymore? I don't even know how you play it anymore. But uh, it was—it feels—it feels like something from the last millennium because it was. Um, anyway, we arrived at the park, and there was a, There was an. It was quite arrogant to play. Rounders in a park I think Like where there are other people right? We hadn't booked anywhere uh, But uh, there was an even more assured and confident group of young people Who were there to play frisbee with each other Okay, They, were, they weren't on our patch or anything So I guess it was a big park, I don't know But uh, they seemed brasher and posher And more confident than us Though I have to say I think we must have had a degree of cocksuredness ourselves To take over a chunk of public land To play a children's game that I loved. Who wants to play rounders right now? I do. Anyone should go and play rounders in Leicester Square. The guy I remember, who I'd thought about regularly for the last three decades, even though as far as I know, this is the only time I pass crossed, was limbering up ahead of a game of frisbee, properly stretching like he was an athlete. Uh, I think he had long hair and an Alice band, but I might be imagining that. Uh, He was addressing his group of friends in a casual, friendly way, but with a tinge of self-importance and arrogance. And he said, come on, guys, stretch those hammies. I don't want any pulled hammies today. Think about that. Honestly, <laughs> at least once a month. <laughs> Struck me as utterly ridiculous that a group of people in their early 20s would stretch before playing a game of Frisbee. It was definitely a casual weekend thing, not a professional Frisbee event, but I think stretching before a professional Frisbee event would be overkill. <laughs> and sli- and uh, you'll be looking slightly ashamed that you were involved. Uh, it would be a, it would be a be- better pre-game ritual. Um, I also wondered how many people ever pulled a hamstring playing Frisbee Uh, in the park with their friends. It won't be none, but it won't be many. That is what I... (laughs) Not enough to insist on warming up and making yourself the centre of attention. People's hamstrings are their own concern. If you want them to warm up, that's their business, not yours. They don't need a so-called friend instructing them how to do it. Just seemed attention-seeking and prickish to me. Uh, I did not warm up my hammies before playing rounders, uh, or at any point in my exercising life, (laughs) including when I ran the marathon. (laughs) Uh, I suspect he's in the back of my mind because I am running again from ahead of my half marathon. Uh, the this, this sentence uh, was all I heard from him as we were walking past. Uh, An interesting isn't the rightness or, or wrongness of him instructing his friends to stretch in faux concern for their hamstrings whilst just trying to make himself appear like the alpha male of some Frisbeers. <laughs> uh, but I've never been able to forget him, and he keeps popping into my mind. And, and now, because this is on the podcast, it's been immortalised in a podcast that is archived in the British Museum. And the British Library. And so his arseholery might be read and listened to and read about in hundreds of years' time. That would be the only mark left by him on humanity. <laughs> be that. Uh, if you're to this hammies guy, and calling them hammies is obviously part of what made them comedic too. <laughs> Their are hamstrings. Uh, what have you have been up to recently? Do you want to play rounders? We should stretch now. We're in our 50s. Uh, anyway, it was just weird that I remembered that. Um, uh, and I'm wearing my uh, wedding suit today. This is, ten, this is a ten. This is ten years. I still fit into my wedding suit, but the reason it looks okay is because I didn't fit into it for most of my marriage. Uh, I also bought some boots online. Like, like that, look at those! But I, they were on sale, and I didn't really look at them properly. And they've got quite a big heel on them. Have you noticed? It's pretty good. I'm taller than my wife when I wear this, as long as she isn't wearing any shoes. I might just wear them all the time. She looked at me in a different way, and she had to look slightly off. I didn't buy him so I could be tall. I didn't know I'd be tall. Anyway, my guest this week uh, is probably best known for his appearance on South Today on the 8th of October 2018. That's why we're all here today. Was that when Bill... Was Bill Grundy on South Today? I'll find out. Uh, will you please welcome the amazing Dave Gorman, ladies and gentlemen, it's Dave, it's David Gorman. Thanks, Dave Gorman. Sit down. Ah. How you doing, Dave?
2: I'm all right, thank Good. you.
0: Good. Yeah. Good.
2: Um, I thought you were looking taller.
0: Yeah, I'm, I've grown. Yeah. It's, look at that, amazing. Look at that. Gives you. It's quite, it's quite extreme, isn't it?
2: It is extreme. Simon Cowell wears similar lifts. <laughs> and, but pretending you
0: didn't deliberately I buy them. I didn't! I bought some other boots with the normal heel and then at the last minute I thought, I should get some black well, ones to wear you, with you my bought, suit. You bought some lifts. You got
2: them. <laughs> you thought, oh, fuck, this is so obvious. I'm going to have to pretend I didn't do it on purpose.
0: I thought they were going to be subtle and I'd get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> if it's so obvious, how come you didn't spot them in the dressing room? Right, south today... <laughs> Was South Today the where Bill was was that the Bill Bill Grundy used to be on that before? No idea. I think it was probably Fred Dinage. Yeah, at one point. Yeah. Um, Who was it? Where who interviewed you on South Today on the eighth of October, twenty eighteen? I can't remember his name.
2: (laughs) Okay, but and I'm I'm guessing because I think I've only been on on South Today once. I wouldn't have even known... I was According to IMDb. I wouldn't, be, IMDb, I wouldn't be, have known the name of the show I was on. But, um, like so the Sex I,
0: Pistols, you've only been on once, and that's because, like yeah, the Sex Pistols.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I moved to uh, Bournemouth. In March, it'll have been four years that we've, mm-hmm. we've been in Bournemouth. And on my last tour, there was a bunch of material about basically be bombarded by messages from people on Twitter, oh, are you retired then? And everyone assuming it's a retirement home place <laughs> and whatever, uh, and responses to that and statistics about that and so on. And I was warming the tour up in a little venue in Andover, and a guy who works for South Today, is that right? South track? Today. Uh, it was in the pretend audience. It
0: wasn't the highlight of your... <laughs> <laughs> he,
2: he was in the audience, yeah. and he, he was like, oh, my God, somebody has moved to our region <laughs> we should talk to him about that. Um, and so they said, can we do an interview with you about that? And yeah. I went, no. <laughs> and they went, "I'll oh, go on. And I went, you can if it's broadcast a week before my tour date's in the region.
1: Yeah.
2: And they went, all right then. Um, and so I, I sat down with the man and he said, so why have you moved to Bournemouth? And I said, because it's lovely. And he went... Oh, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and people pretended it was exciting that someone had chosen to uh, eschew London in favour of Bournemouth. Um, It was quite exciting. I mean, it's exciting if you live in Bournemouth. I... Don't think me living in Bournemouth is exciting for the people <laughs> of Bournemouth. I love living there. It's absolutely lovely and I yeah. see more of my family and we, and my child has more time outdoors and we go to the beach a lot and it's, I, I'm loving living there. It's, it's, it's um, fantastic. But I don't understand how that could possibly give pleasure to others <laughs> just knowing that I'm a neighbour, sort of.
0: Do a lot of people gawp at you in the street when they see you walk past? No. Hmm. No, they don't. They're playing it very
2: cool, but there—that's inside. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I was on there to discuss um, uh, moving to yeah. to the region. Yeah. Um, and weirdly, and I, I this is what I don't understand because it was for like regional TV news. It was you know an item on the end of the local news. Yeah. And the local when I lived in London, the local news was fucking terrible <laughs> because the local news was the same as the news. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, so you'd, you'd sort of watch the national news and then they'd go, and now some things are happen in London. It's the news. <laughs> because all the politicians are in London and all that. So there wouldn't be yeah. very much like properly local content. And I sort of looked forward to the idea of, of living somewhere where the local news would actually be local news and God, that's even worse. <laughs> because it's really... I mean, I don't, they, they don't light it very well. It's like, no, there's no money being put into what's on screen and it's just somebody visited a school. Yeah. And
0: just... Oh, it's, Are you a bit annoyed that you weren't the headline? Is that what you're no, saying? No, no, I'm not. Dave Gorman
2: has moved into the area. What's Fifteen minutes. really weird is it, it was the number one trending story on the BBC News website. Right. So I was on tour in Coventry, I think, and I got a load of calls and messages from mates going, why are you telling the world you've moved to Bournemouth? <laughs> because it was, the, like, the top story of all the stories that had been read on the BBC News website for a day yeah. was a comedian you probably haven't heard of has moved. <laughs> Just, Really, I don't know how that happened, but yeah. some algorithm threw me to the top of a thing.
0: Well, you're very popular. People like to know <laughs> where you are. <laughs> uh, well, good. It's, yeah. it, it's it is very nice in Bournemouth. I visited you in Bournemouth. Uh, yeah. and it's delightful. It is. I've visited you in London as well, and it was all right as well. <laughs> it, wasn't as, it wasn't as nice. No, it is. It's a very nice part of the world. Yeah, yeah,
2: but you know, now that's going to be a. Uh, it's going to be back on the BBC Newsletter. Yeah. Once this goes, once this goes one of those, out. Well, they, they They weirdly take snippets from these interviews yeah. and put them in the Metro or the yeah. Mirror. <laughs> That's not going to make it, is there's, it? There's a journalist Dave watching. That. said it's lovely in Bournemouth.
0: Now we're live streaming. The journalists don't even have to bother coming to these gigs. So they just have to yeah, yeah. pay 10 quid. Someone's writing this up now. Yeah, yeah. Lucky. Yeah. Oh, made man. £25 pounds, <laughs> minus the £10 pounds for the stream £15 pounds profit <laughs> we're right in. so look well seeing we're uh, talking about being boring and moving out of London um, even more boringly you now write crosswords yeah I do yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that
2: was me denying that moving to Bournemouth was like retiring. (laughs) And three years later, I'm writing cryptic crosswords for the newspapers. How did
0: this, how did this develop? how did this happen? How did you get into, I know you've always enjoyed. Yeah, well, I've always done them. I sort of
2: taught myself to do them when I was a teenager. And, and someone who sort of travels and and whatever I like having a cryptic crossword with me it's like having a friend for company through the day on a train or whatever and it's it's always been a part of my life and I, I wrote about them in one of my books and that led to me writing the foreword for a book of cryptic crosswords by the observer a few years ago so I've always had these little sort of connections with some of the people involved in that world um And at the time back then, when I wrote that forward, I sort of dabbled with writing clues, but I wasn't really brave enough to do anything with it. And then during the first lockdown, I I sort of wrote a crossword. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I figured, well, I did that because I'm bored in lockdown, and there must be lots of other people who are bored in lockdown, and maybe some of those people would like to do a crossword. So I tweeted it. And the the crossword editor of The Independent... Replied to my tweet saying um, some really good clues here, but the grid's shit. <laughs> uh, and I wrote back to him saying, if I did one where the grid wasn't shit, would you be interested?
0: What? What can I ask? What makes what makes a grid <laughs> shitter than a different another grid? Um, no, seeing as you find crosswords boring yeah. you may not ask that because um, <laughs> that, getting... that
2: belies an interest that <laughs> yeah. you are denying exists, Richard Herring I'm is so... it boring or do you want to know? I want to know, I'm right. getting okay. interested
0: yeah. also, um... journalists are going to be writing crosswords are <laughs> my friend, Dave Gorman that's what, that's what you worry. Always... I've got two fantastic scoops already yeah. When I have no friends, I have crossed words. <laughs> so, what's the diff- what's the, what makes a good grid, Dave? Uh, a good grid yeah. is about the number of crossing letters
2: in the words. Uh, so, you, what you shouldn't have. Yeah, so it shouldn't just be a load of words You should not cross of... over each yeah. <laughs> in a line. You shouldn't yeah. really have more than two consecutive uncrossed squares oh, okay. in a word. Wow. And ideally, every answer would have 50% of it's content crossing with other words. That sounds tough. That's what was wrong with it. Yeah. Um, So I I, I got in touch with that editor and and he ended up publishing one uh, and then I wrote a lot more for him. And now in the independent, most months twice a month Mm -hmm. and in the Guardian every couple of months and in the Telegraph once a month, Um, which has become weird. That's Mm -hmm. basically... £10,000 a crossword? (laughs) It is... So ridiculously badly paid. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I worry that people would perceive that as, as me going, uh, used to my showbiz riches, <laughs> it is probably... It's shit, regardless. Every, basically, every other crossword setter... There's about three people in the country who make a living writing crosswords and almost all the other crossword setters in the country, it's their hobby. Mm-hmm. It's no-one's it's no job, nice. rightly. Really. So that's, that's those three kind
0: of, what three you know are kind about of, of like billionaire, billionaire crosswords. <laughs> but don't the crossword, actually, a lot of people buy newspapers, especially now, people buy the physical newspaper for the crossword.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, a million people a, a, a day do one, I think, in, in Britain. So there are, there's still a lot of people doing them. I think Paul, his real name's John Halpin, is, is sort of like the most prolific. He sets for all the broadsheets, and he's, he's one of the ones who makes a living at it. And when he was younger, he was a massive fan of uh, the Reverend John Graham, I think his real name was, who was Araucaria, who was like the legendary guardian setter of the day. Uh, and John and, and the two Johns got in touch. And, and John Halpin, the, the young man at university who wanted to become crossword setter, got invited to lunch uh, by Araucaria, and he picked him up at the station, uh, and and John describes... I think it was like getting into a battered old Mini and realising, oh, this is not a good course in life. This is the most highly regarded crossword setter there has ever been. And he's driving a 15-year-old shit Mini.
0: When a crossword setter invites another crossword setter to lunch, do they do it with a, with a cryptic clue to say where it's going to be and what time it's going to be? <laughs>
2: um, Yes, Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you don't realise I'm constantly inviting you out to uh, okay. social events.
0: It's 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 yeah, You've you just been
2: missing them. They, the invitations it. have existed.
0: So, and also I want to know, how do people... Why do, hey, why do crossword setters... I'm going to just talk about crosswords yeah, for now. I think we can yeah, do it. Okay. Why do crossword setters have to not just use their actual names? Why does a bloke called John call himself Paul... That's not even that, you know, not even, like, an exciting
2: name. No, it's not, and and in that instance, and I'm only doing this because it's you, I'm going to pull the rug from under you because he's called himself Paul in honour of his dead brother, so now you feel shit.
0: Um, But... Why bring his dead brother down by pretending he does crosswords? (laughs) Um,
2: uh, I, I don't know why people, we have to have pseudonyms, but yeah. it's, it's, it's part of the thing. So when I was younger, um, this is like... So when, when Sudoku, Sudoku became big, yeah. whatever, like every time the Sudoku printed in the paper, there was a little paragraph at the side of it saying, all the numbers, one to nine, fit in every row and every And there was a little explanation of how the puzzle works so that anyone could look at it and go, oh, right, and try and begin solving it. And cryptic crosswords, and it's not a thing I like about them, they are opaque and they seem to enjoy the idea that a beginner would look at it and go, well, that makes no fucking sense, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, and and as a, when I was like 13, 14, it was seeing something in the paper that made no sense really annoyed me. And so I started holding on to yesterday's newspaper and looking at the answers the next day and going, why is that that? And I sort of worked it out for myself through yeah. sheer determination to not not understand something. And I think... Cross, the crossword world would benefit itself by being a bit more open and sharing more of how it works, and I think the pseudonyms is all part of that cloak and dagger bullshit yeah. um, and that that makes it feel like a world that's not for you, even though it is for you. I know like one of the things um, there there are some people like like everything in in the world of comedy there's sort of chortle and what they think of you is important and even though it's not important in the wider world and in crosswords there are blogs that review every single broadsheet crossword and what the the 50 people who comment on that is seen as really important and it's not fucking important because there's a million people doing them and only 50 people on this website and that's not actually that important but amongst those people there are some people who really like me and there are a couple of people who hate me (laughs) with a passion and uh, it's I don't know, it's partly because they see me as an outsider who shouldn't have been allowed in, and I've been welcomed in, and it's partly because I'm a little bit earthier than <laughs> okay. some... People who don't do CryptoCross were saying it's all about Greek gods and Roman things and opera and Wagner and knowing all those sort of things, and I'll do cues about, clues about Beyoncé and Pooh and Wee. Yeah. Um, and, and the people who want it to all be about opera and Greek gods really hate me doing yeah. clues about poo. So and the, poo, the
0: poo comes down in, in the O of Beyonce? P. <laughs> and we. Not, and not there poo is. and Beyonce. Uh,
2: okay. I haven't yet included poo and Beyonce. Okay, all right. But I have done clues about Beyoncé and clues about poo separately.
0: Could yeah? How, but had so you say you don't like the, the pseudonyms, and, but you've got loads of them. Well, I've, I've got three of them because you have yeah. to have one. Okay. For them, and so, how did yeah. you choose your your names?
2: Uh, well, the Independent, uh, I am Bluth, B L U T H, and that is because in Gaelic, uh, Gorm is blue, okay. and Anne is the. Right. And so, Gorman is blue-the. And I took the E's off because it made a nicer word. And also, I'm a really big fan of Arrested Development. Okay. Um, And I was eating a frozen banana at the time. (laughs) So, that seemed like a good idea. Okay. Uh, In the Telegraph, I'm Django. Okay. Uh, And that's David, James, and Gorman, which is my name sort of condensed. And uh, in the Guardian, I'm Fed... And in American slang, a fed would be also a G-man. So, like, the FBI are feds or G-men, and I'm a G-man. So, that that did that. Yeah. There you go. Is that happy now? Yeah, I'm very happy. Did it make you
0: you happy when you came up with those? (laughs) I'm going to be fed. No, you just have to have one. (laughs) What would yours be, Richard? Um, Mine would be... um, well, I, did, I would nearly came... I tried to come up with a pseudonym for writing, right? Which I, I don't think I'm ever going to do because I got thought, I, you know, people don't take me seriously as a writer because I'm a comedian. So I might come up with a pseudonym for writing. What did I come up with? It was Rufus. What do you think you are? <laughs> Rufus. <laughs> well, because I thought, like, would I, would I get, like... A, J.K. Rowling? Would I get, like, like, a novel published? If, if, you, if you send it as Richard Herring, then, yeah. you know, they're going, nah. But if you send it in as... I, I think I came up with something like... Rufus for red and the Spanish for herring, which I can't remember what it was now, but it was, a, it was far enough away right. from herring. So I'd probably do something around, around red herring. Right. And then my name's herring. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And also I R Richard begins with R.
2: So it's R herring. I love the idea that you think it would be somehow easier to get a novel published oh. if you were unknown. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you haven't been awake in the world for the last... It'd
0: <laughs> be easier for me. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, it's, it's interesting, because a uh, crossword clue yeah. is sort of like a really annoying joke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're like jokes, but they, you have to work them out, and they go, ah. <laughs> so it's sort of like, a, so I think as a yeah. comedian, you're, you are, they're witty, your, your clues are very witty, I think.
2: Um I, I think some of them might qualify as that. Yeah. But which yeah. is
0: which is when it's the, there there are those clues in crosswords that you kind of go that is very nice. That's yeah. what, what are your favorite of your own or other people's clues that are those sort of witty?
2: Um oh now I mean that's too, got, that's you, too high a bar it, to set is isn't it? Because now I've got to, my answer is supposed to be witty. Well but will also need to be explained.
0: Yeah. But it also doesn't have to be that funny because it's still a crossword That's clue. true. <laughs>
2: Well, uh, so, the, thing, the, the, thing, the, the worst thing you can say to a crossword setter, and the thing that people always say, is, bloody hell, it's like 3-2-bloody-1, mate. <laughs> um, which I know is a very old reference, but I still said every time I publish a crossword, somebody says that to me. For those young people who don't know it, 3-2-1 was an ITV game show in the 80s, hosted by Ted Rogers, and, and the contestants would be given clues throughout the game. Yeah, that's it. 3, uh, <laughs> three, two, one. 1. Um, I think it was Un dos, Tres on Spanish TV before right. it was on uh, British TV. Anyway, they, they'd do sort of like variety acts and at the end of each act they'd give a clue and put it on the table. It'd be a physical object and also some written text. And they would have to try and work out what it was a clue to and they'd whittle it down until they had one clue left and that was their prize. And the booby prize was Dusty Bin and the Star Prize be a holiday or a caravan or a car or whatever. And the clues made no sense, deliberately made no sense, were packed with ambiguity and had no correct answer. So somebody would give them a, a physical object, would be like a key, and the clue would say, it's got wheels. <laughs> <laughs> it will take you away. You'll be packing your bags for this one. <laughs> And you go, oh, we think it's this one, Ted, we think it's going to be a holiday. And they go, well, it's got wheels, a car's got wheels, a caravan's got wheels, but Dusty Bin's got wheels. <laughs> oh, it'll take you away. You could get taken away in a bin, couldn't you? <laughs> You'll be packing your bin bags. They're bin bags, it's Dusty Bin! <laughs> and no clue had a correct answer. Like You could absolutely invent yeah. two different realities for every single clue. And nobody in the... Inter- you might guess correctly what it was... You might say I think it's a car and it would be the car, but you wouldn't have given the explanation that Ted then gave when he read the monologue (laughs) that came with it. Whereas cryptic crossword clues have a correct answer. Every word is employed in it. And and the beginning or end of the clue is just the same as a quick crossword clue. Mm -hmm. There's an actual definition in it. So you can't cheat, you can't have it mean one thing or another thing or whatever, because you actually have to have the same as a normal crossword clue built into it. So, for example, one of mine um, that upset a few people uh, <laughs> was uh, C7 are made poorly eating supermarket crabs, for example. Okay. Okay. So, and this is very hard to do just in your head. It's much <laughs> easier to explain if you can write stuff down. But take the letters in the words C7R mm-hmm and now make them poorly. So you make an anagram of the words C7R, and then that anagram is eating a supermarket. And that supermarket is ALDI, A-L-D-I. And if you put that in the middle of an anagram of C7R, you get venereal disease, (laughs) (laughs) which is crabs, for example. So if it was a quick crossword clue, it would say crabs, for example, and the answer would be venereal disease, and you wouldn't think that was impossible. You'd get some crossword, you'd work it out. But you've got all yeah. this help to help you work it out. Yeah. And the people who were upset with it were upset for two reasons. One, that it's venereal disease. Two, it was fucking Aldi. <laughs> like That's lowering the tones of crosswords already <laughs> before we get to the answer, mate. Um, so they, they don't like me being a bit sort of um, common. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Well,
0: it's good, it's good. You're, you're kicking up in the cross-world <laughs> <world>. <laughs> well, It's also,
2: it's sort of, um, it's, like, we, last time I was here, or maybe one time I was here with you, we talked about, it's a, it makes me giggle so much, there was a review from some New, Newcastle comedy website that I got, which we couldn't, read, neither of us could read it with a straight face. Oh, yes. It's something about, if Frankie Boyle <laughs> is the Mick, Jagger of comedy, Dave Gorman is the Ringo star. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was a really odd thesis yeah. that the guy had. Um, but I'm not a bad boy of comedy. <laughs> so it's kind
0: of fun being the bad boy of crosswords. <laughs> that became like a running question. I can't quite remember what happened, but I remember someone writing in and they thought that Mick Jagger was Muck Jagger. <laughs> so they wrote, they, they wrote in an answer to the question I think, with, like, an essay about it, but called it <laughs> Mick Jagger, Muck Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> so they were listening up thinking, Frankie Boyle is the Muck Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> the... I don't, I,
2: uh, no, I've not got to the bottom of it. No? But yeah, no, so I'm, I'm a sort of, you know, I'm a clean-cut, nice boy of comedy, but <laughs> filthy in crossword <laughs> By their standards. Break.
0: Um, You are still being a comedian, though, though not through lockdown, obviously, so much, but you've come back and working on a new show. Yeah, I've
2: I've done, I did three new material nights in in Clapham to find myself, you know, enjoy it again. And it was, I really, really enjoyed it. And there's there's sort of a tour in there. I just don't know when that's going to happen. It's all, it's all. Like you basically have to book a tour about a year in advance, and at the moment all the theaters are full of all the people whose tours got cancelled the first time. Yeah. So there's this backlog of of people, sort of. Getting out of there, and also, I've spent two years at home with my wife and son, and it's really nice. I kind of like it, yeah. So, maybe I have retired to <laughs> Bournemouth <there. laughs> to, to write cryptic crosswords in a shed. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna tour at some point, but I don't know when.
0: And it's still you're still with the, doing the PowerPoint stuff within this show. That's that's because you've always throughout your career you've sort of reinvented yourself quite regularly, I think. As a, yeah, you started out doing poetry and. Yeah. And spoken, you know, and then you've, you've moved yeah. through these different. Yeah, there have been sort of like
2: three incarnations, yeah. I think, of of it. But that's because I get bored um, and, and want to do new stuff. But no, the, the, the PowerPoint stuff with it, I'm, I'm still excited by and it's still interesting to me and it still allows me to do jokes about things I can't do just verbally. And it's, it's like having a double act, but I don't have to pay my partner because <laughs> I can be saying, one, you know, it's a classic thick trope of comedy. You're saying one thing but meaning another, I can be saying one thing and the screen can be proving me wrong behind me or whatever, we can literally have interplay between me and it. Yeah. And I, I think normally in an hour and a half show I run through about 600 to 700 slides. So I'm, I'm literally sort of, it's changing every 20 seconds or something. It's like it's a constant to and fro between me and it which I really like, and I don't know how to replace that. That sort of feels like a really useful device.
0: Still. Is it cheating to have interplay with your... <laughs> ..with your screen during a show? Is that cheating on your partner, or is it that you're allowed to have interplay with, a, with PowerPoint? Do, do you know what the word interplay means? <laughs> sounds
2: like you don't know what oh, the word on. interplay I'm, means.
0: I might, be, I might be making up my, yeah. <laughs> my own definitions. Um, LAUGHTER so you don't you don't you don't know whether that's so you've you, you've done some a, a couple of gigs post. I've done I've done three gigs yeah. post lockdown and um,
2: and they were really exciting to be back. It was really well, it's just nice to be out of the house. Um, but it was they, they were really really good fun. I really liked it. And there's sort of thirty or forty minutes of it in particular that I thought I really want to tour that. That's really fun to do. It's got a sort of I don't know a, a quality to it straight out of the gate. Normally, you do new stuff and you go, oh, I can work on that. Oh, there's something in that. And there was about 30 minutes of it where I thought, oh, that's ready. I could okay. just do it. And that's really exciting.
0: Yeah. Because that's like. That's enough, pad that out. the magic trick, isn't it?
2: And then there's an hour of other stuff which I know is is nearly there and is just right. And
0: do some crosswords cues <laughs> for an hour. Just put them up and d- don't move to the next one until everyone's worked it out, but they're not, yeah. allowed, to, they're not allowed to talk no to each other. No conferring, no conferring. Yeah. I think you can make it work. Yeah. I, don't, I will do it, I just don't
2: know when to do it because there's this sort of... Yeah. I'm still waiting for the chaos to sort of move through the theatres and stuff.
0: Yeah. But did you sort of? It sounds like you sort of enjoyed lockdown, you know, aside from the people dying and all that sort of stuff. That was sad. That was sad.
2: Yeah. Um, We're alive, though, right? So we, we got through it. I, I think enjoyed is pushing it. I, okay. I, I sort of think, I think it's true for a lot of people. I'm a bit nostalgic for the first lockdown. Right. That was all right. Um, at the time, later on, my, my boy was in school and, and we were doing homeschooling and it was harder. But in the first lockdown, he was in nursery, so we paddling pool in the garden and it was quite nice. And and he, he was sort of also reached an age where he could go for a three- or four-mile walk, which he'd never really been able to do until then. And that was just sort of... It was kind of... That, there's, there's stuff to enjoy about that first lockdown. The bad stuff is that he didn't see another child for about three months, mm. And so he played with us differently. Because I would sort of got used to the idea that sometimes playing with him means being in the same room as him while he plays. (laughs) But that wasn't good enough when he didn't have children to play with. So he started doing this thing of sort of... I go, all right, I'm a dinosaur and you're my egg. I'm going to lay you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, okay, fine. And then you sort of curl yourself up on the living room <laughs> floor and he'd sit on you and go, I'm laying you now. Laying you now. And you'd come out of it going. Wah. <laughs> Wah. And he'd go, no, daddy, you're doing it wrong. Go, oh, how am I doing it wrong? We're long necks. <laughs> no, you're doing it wrong! And he'd get really angry with me. And when you see kids playing with each other in role play like this, they sort of muddle along with it and they'll make up their own rules as they go, but a grown-up can't do it. You just can't do it. It was like being a member of an impro troupe (laughs) where the boss was constantly furious. (laughs) And we're just dying for him to meet other children... And, and get that out of his system with them instead of with us, and so when we did the one of the later lockdowns and he was then in school, um, and we were doing the homeschooling, we one of his best friends from school, his parents have got two kids, and they've both got full time jobs and they're both working from home and they were in a real tough situation, and they're also doing things like they're teaching there nine-year-old French and neither of them speak French. And it's like you've reached a level where you're actually teaching, even at nine, you're teaching them stuff you don't know. Yeah. Which at least wasn't the case in reception. You know, we, I could handle the homeschooling there. And we got in touch with his best mate's parents and said, can we have your boy one day a week? We'll take him off your hands. Right. Because we'll homeschool two kids and we'll just not do the homeschooling that day. We'll let them play. It'll be great. And, and we'll have a nice time and it'll be easier for him and, and we put so much social capital in the bank because we asked for nothing in return we <laughs> appeared to be angels saying we will take one of your children off your hands one day a week free of charge, gratis nothing required in return and they were so bloody grateful <laughs> but so were we because we had this other boy on Tuesdays and he could be a fucking egg and that's... <laughs> That's so weight off our mind and shoulders, literally. And, um, uh, and, and, and we've had favours in return, you know, the, yeah. uh, our boy's fence things have lifted, but he's had a sleepover at there so we can have a night out and we've basically got endless capital in the bank <laughs> with that couple. They don't realise quite how over a barrel they are
0: now. Yeah. Hopefully, they're not listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gorman! The Gormans, why have you done that? Um, I'm going to ask you some would you rather. Look, I've got a would you craft rather question that isn't in the book. This is just based on, like, you know, I don't know if my mind's just addling as I get old, right? And I talked about the other week, uh, I was moving logs, I got a log delivery for our fire. <laughs> That's, that's where we are now, writing crosswords and getting logs. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was throwing the logs into the log store and trying, sort of like a game of Tetris, thought it might be quite a good Taskmaster game for right, to see yeah. if you can get them into the gaps. But then I started thinking of things from the perspective of the logs, right? <laughs> if you were a log, yeah. if you were a log that was meant to be burnt on a fire, would yeah. you rather be at the back of the log store, like deep in where you're not going to get picked out very soon, or at the front? Of the log store, where you get so. I would just think from a. Uh, do you think the logs want to be burned, or do you think they want to? Do you want? The, do they want to stay at the, the back of the log store?
2: I think if the log is sentient, yeah, it probably most wants to be a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've already crossed the Rubicon from the <laughs> logs' point of view
0: when it was that cut down was and logged. Yeah, um, so. Given that... What if the log became sentient once the tree was cut into bits? In that instance... (laughs) And it's meant to be if I would log, but does it want to live as a log and be at the back and maybe... Because what happens when another log delivery comes and the ones at the back pretty much stay at the back forever?
2: Then I imagine, in this scenario... Yeah. Where logs become sentient when they're chopped up and turned into logs. Yeah. Then the logs become sentient at the point at which their destiny is to be burned, and they are showbiz logs that <laughs> want to be fucking burned, <laughs> and they want to be at the front that doing says their a job.
0: Lot. See, it says a lot about you. Answer. Yeah. That was good. It, yeah. it Says a lot about the people. That one didn't make the book because you know I came up with it more recently. If it would be, it would be all the book if I. <laughs> Would you rather be sent to Coventry or have the scent of Coventry?
2: <laughs> How long am I sent to Coventry for?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you also—is I, 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 it literal or figurative? Yeah, is yeah. A, is a, well, like, you, you can decide that yourself. I'd say, I'd say it was a permanent. Uh, permanent thing, you're either, you're either sent to Coventry, either literally or figuratively, or you smell of Coventry forever.
2: I, I'd, I'd smell of Coventry forever, yeah. yeah. I don't know that anyone has ever, in a blind smell test,
0: identified Coventry. <laughs> I don't feel like that's a thing. I, I don't think it would be a nice smell. It would be all the scents of Coventry... All of them. Well, they'd all be, and then distilled into one scent. I mean, it wouldn't be so powerful as, like, a concentrated smell of everything in Coventry, but it would be the distilled... They'd put everything in Coventry in a smell chamber and whisk it all together, and then they'd spray that onto you, and you would have the scent of Coventry. I mean,
2: it feels like it would be hard to do this without destroying Coventry. (laughs) And they tried that once, Rich
0: and I don't think we're on their side. Coventry rose from the flame. You can't <laughs> destroy it. It comes back stronger. <laughs> very. I remember that. It's one of my earliest memories is going to Coventry Cathedral, and that big the picture of the mural of Jesus on the wall of it. Absolutely fucking terrifying. Yeah. And I put the fear... You, do you know the picture? There's a, like a massive thing of just Jesus. I'm you know, looking at it again. It's not as bad as I remember it being. It's not as scary, but I was absolutely... But did you Shit, believe yeah. in
2: Jesus then? Yeah,
0: I think so. And he looked, and he was big and he was coming off the wall at me and, yeah. and then he already destroyed one cathedral behind the one he was in. <laughs> and he was coming for another one. Coventry's nice. I'm not having a go at Coventry, though. I will never gig inside Coventry.
2: I bet, I will... I bet you play the University of Warwick. I have, but it's far which enough is away. In, it's not. The postcode is CV4, for fuck's sake. <laughs> University of Warwick, postcode CV4. It's in fucking Coventry.
0: But it's far enough away. Um, this is towards the end of the book. When I, when I, when I was running oh, out Oh, no, of I-
2: don't, don't read it. I don't want to know how it ends. When I, was,
0: when I was running out of ideas. Would you rather be able to fart the blockbusters theme tune or own a cat? <laughs> Got to do another 20 of them. Let's put that one out. Um, well, I mean, I do own a cat. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Would I have to give up my cat?
0: Yeah. Oh. But you'd be able to fart the blood. And I imagine when it's that, it's the entire thing as well. So it's oh, not have just be. Yeah, yeah, it's not just like. And then you'd run out, you'd be. And in tune and harmonies and stuff. And would I never in.
2: be allowed another cat?
0: Um, you'd have, you'd, your cat would be taken away. Humanely. <laughs> <She> <laughs> This is
2: tricky, because our our cat went missing for five weeks earlier this year. It was very traumatic, and we were very upset. And then she she was found, and because she's tagged, we got her back. So I've I've sensed, touched the grief of losing a cat. But fuck it, I'd have the blockbuster. I would (laughs) as (laughs) well. I think, I mean, to be able to fart something that would make everyone of a certain generation hand jive... (laughs) would be a remarkable party piece. Uh,
0: dear.
2: And anyone who could fart the theme tune to Blockbusters and couldn't parlay that into untold riches yeah. doesn't deserve the gift.
0: I agree. I think you would... De- I, mean, it's, I don't know if, there, if the Raw Variety... It would definitely be in the Raw Variety performance one year. It's, there isn't enough TV shows. In the old days, there were TV shows where someone who could do something like that would just crop, on them, uh, crop up on them every now and again, wouldn't they? Play a mule train with yeah. a tea tray on their head. <laughs> that <guy. Yeah. laughs> And ones. they wouldn't have to do anything else. Yeah. They'd just have yeah, their yeah. one thing. And they could, <laughs> and then you'd play all the theatres. But yeah. I don't know if that's got... Cause it, I feel can, like
2: you'd absolutely blitz week one on Britain's Got Talent. Yeah. <laughs> but then have nothing left over the final. <laughs> I mean, it's a guaranteed golden buzzer on week one. <laughs> And then normally people are coming back with bigger and better acts and you're just...
0: (laughs) (laughs) to reincarnate Bob Holness to try and add something to it. (laughs) All right, we'll do one more and we'll get back to the proper (laughs) proper questions. (laughs) Hold (sighs) on. Oh, this, this is interesting. This is a showbiz question for you. Would you rather be a mime or one of those people who pretends to be a statue? If you had to work outdoors... Oh... Um, it's not a nice choice, Dave. No,
2: I'll I'll go with the mime. Yeah, yeah. Because
0: you get to move around a bit. Yeah,
2: I I did do some street theatre once. Yeah,
0: that's why I thought. Yeah,
2: you didn't know that.
0: I did, I thought no. you did some juggling or something. Was a, did some... No,
2: I, I I I I did street theatre once. Oh right. Okay. Um, and it was it was awful. What did um, you do in your act? Uh, was it mine. I, I did it with a mate of mine. Okay. Um... We had met a really brilliant street artist guy called Pepe who did this workshop with us. Um, and he's, he was an amazing bloke, travelled around the world. I think he lived in Coventry, Okay, actually. Um, very fragrant man. Um, LAUGHTER he sort of lived this weird itinerant life because he was, he was a mime and he, so his act worked internationally and he'd just travel the world. This month was Montreal, this month was Edinburgh, this month was here, you know, like literally did that. And he'd go back home once a year and almost always um, get his wife pregnant and then go back off on the road. <laughs> it was a really weird... I was like 14 when I met him. He was really sort of engaging and funny and interesting. Uh, and a mate of mine... Um, uh, Seymour and and I tried doing an act one time. We were two of the people from the workshop who actually had the cojones to go, all right, we'll give it a go. Yeah, And it's really hard <laughs> without a roof and trying to get people to stop and whatever. We sort of mirrored... Um, we mirrored an existing sort of street act where people would get a member of the audience out and they would juggle things past their face... Uh, but we did it with that person blindfold and the audience in on the joke that we weren't doing that. Okay. Uh, so one person thought we were on unicycles <laughs> juggling heavy things right past their face. Well, actually, we were rushing our fingers in front of his <laughs> face like that and trying to make an audience laugh at the idea that this person thought it was real, Okay. which sort of worked on a very small level, but we never got... The, the crowd to the tipping point you need to make money doing yeah. that. So we then gave up and went home.
0: Oh, that's a good idea, yeah. though. Yeah. I, like, I, like the, I like the thought behind it. We work with the idea
2: that we couldn't do all, any <laughs> of the actual stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can juggle a little, but not that.
0: It's a good way to improve. If you can get everyone to keep the pretense up forever... It's a good way to make one person think you're amazing. Yeah, it's a shame you didn't
2: see that. There there might well be one
0: person who still thinks (laughs) it happened to him. I don't know, but that was that was what we did. Um, I I was thinking about both of us, and we've lived, we've lived, you know, we've had a sort of similar-ish sort of career in many ways. And I I was wondering if there's any other point in history you and I could have made a living (laughs) doing what what we do. We're sort of essentially. Playing and doing, you know, and and trying crazy stuff out and doing it. And a lot of your stuff, obviously, is big, big uh, commitments in terms of going around the world and and finding all these different people. Do you think there's another time in history, if you hadn't been born in the 60s or 70s of the last century to now, (laughs) you could have lived the sort of lived and made a living from the sort of things that you and also I do? Um, probably not but it's probably
2: not just the time it's also the place I would think I would, yeah. like Britain is particularly uniquely placed for that I don't know that there's anything similar happening in other parts of Western Europe even <laughs> there's, there's something of, of Britain's relationship with comedy is different yes um, and stuff and America is different again I don't think it could survive in any other ecosystem let alone time yeah um no, I'd have to invent PowerPoint first <laughs> as well.
0: It'd be tricky. But even for the so, some of the things you that you did, like a, the internet would have, and, and the technology would have ruined. I mean, the Dave Gorman, are you Dave Gorman? Would sort of been ruined, wouldn't it? At The, at, at yeah. the first step, if the internet. <laughs> well, people, had been a thing. people
2: now conflate Google like, Adventure and I, Dave Gorman. So I get lots of messages still from people who think I Googled all my namesakes right. because they've yeah. confused those two things. Whereas actually, I, Dave Gorman, like you say, it actually sort of exists at a moment, kind of almost just before Google becomes the go-to resource that it now is. Yeah. It's the reason I said no to a sequel to that is, is the, the first series was a thing that had actually happened and then got turned into a TV show. Yeah. And then the idea of doing it with the backing of, of, of a TV company again, we go well. There'd be no jeopardy. Yeah, we'd just get a research and we'd find them all, and there wouldn't be. A, it was a story about how we went from one to another, and series two would be, and then we got some other people to do all that. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that that's shit. Yeah. That's, that's not engaging to me. So, and like you say, if, if Google had just been there, and you'd been able to go, well, we found all of them. <laughs> that's not a story no. and it's about that not about who they are or who i am or anything yeah. it's about where we went and why so yeah i'm not interested but, you,
0: in but it's sort of always interesting about that those shows from that time even the uh reasons to be cheerful uh one was the, it was the, the the you allowed the the it was the about the adventure more than about what the the type of the show was so you allowed the, yeah. you allowed that to Um, Yeah,
2: I think of all the things I've done that's the the biggest leap in the dark that's the beginning of all the other things that I've I've had any kind of success with was that one and that was I've been going up to Edinburgh two or three times and I'm sure audiences don't give a shit and I don't think comedians should moan about it but essentially a lot of people just go up and lose a lot of money in Edinburgh, it's so expensive it's such a competitive field you can sell out and the first time I did a one-man show in Edinburgh, if I'd sold every single ticket, I would have lost four grand. And that's the economics of, of Edinburgh. Yeah. certainly how it was. It's worse now. It is worse though. Yeah. Uh, although there's also the free fringe and things <laughs> yeah, yeah, have come to sort of combat that. And that, that sort of didn't exist when, when we were starting there. So that was the reality of it. And I just thought there's something really perverse about this whole industry going to this city for a month to watch you i lived in manchester at the time but i was on the you know coming down and doing london gigs quite a lot and the purpose of edinburgh effectively was to lose money but hopefully be seen by a tv executive i said well but i'm i'm gigging in islington and in crouch end i'm gigging five minutes from their house (laughs) and not losing money why have we all got to go there to lose money to have them see me do that thing they could have seen me do five minutes from their house? Sure. And I have a very sort of distinct and very fond memory of, of sitting with my manager and saying, I think Edinburgh's fucked. I think if I'm going to risk all that money, I should be doing something creatively risky as well. I, I don't want to do my club act. I want to create a show for this that I don't know if it's good or not. I want to find out whether I can do something different. And him getting really sort of twitchy about it <laughs> and all I had was I said I, I want to do a show about the lyrics to enjoy his song Reasons to be Cheerful and he said have you thought about doing one about a more popular song <laughs> <laughs> not, I'm not interested that's not the point it has to be, it's, the, it's, it's, it's the not knowing how that will go is what excites me I'm not going to go and lose five grand doing something that earns me a living the rest of the year I want to take a creative risk And he said, right, well, let's get previews as early as we can so we can find out. And then you can not put yourself in the brochure if it's it's too weird or something. So I did a gig at Battersea Arts Centre. And I hadn't really written the whole show. And I was prepared to sort of go, well, I've written this bit and I'll have to tell the audience there's a gap here, but I'm going to get to these lyrics and I'll get through it and I started and I sort of basically there's my reasoning was there's about 57 reasons to be cheerful in the song and I thought I'll do a bit of material about each of them once you've done that and told the punter to turn the phone off in the 16th minute said hello and goodbye that's probably an hour that'll be okay Um, and again this is kind of before the internet you couldn't google the lyrics and they're quite hard to hear and I would tried finding them in different ways and At one point, I went to the British Library to find a copy of Smash Hits, and it was the one that was missing. (laughs) And then on my way back home to Manchester, I stopped at my mum's in Stafford, and I found the copy of the magazine I'd been looking for in my childhood bedroom. I'd I'd owned it all along. Um, So I found the lyrics and things. So when I did the preview show in Battersea, the very first one, it was like a hostage situation. It lasted over two hours... (laughs) <laughs> and when I got to the gaps in the story and I started explaining I was like Look, the, the reason I haven't got this bit is I couldn't work out what the lyrics were in verse two but to find them out I did this and I went here and I did this and I went there and I went to the British Library and this happened then on my way home I found that like, and that was getting bigger laughs than all the jokes I'd written in the first bit and it was Like, it was way too long, and it wasn't... I'm not pretending it was a great gig, but the audience were engaged in it for the full two hours. Like, the audience were not going, oh, fucking let us out. (laughs) The audience were like, this is weird, but carry on. (laughs) And I I sort of knew there was something in it, and every time I did a preview, I'd take more jokes out and put more story in, and it got funnier, and by the end of it, it had one joke in, (laughs) and it was all the story of how I'd gone here and done this and found this bit. And so... I sort of the show I ended up with was sort of what should have been a DVD extra of the making of the show I intended to make. I just never made that show. I made this storytelling show instead. But like it was a discovery. I discovered this thing I could do, which was tell stories about how things had happened and where I'd gone, and have the evidence. And it was all I didn't do PowerPoint in those days. I had a an overhead projector like your geography teacher used to use, and a slide projector, <laughs> and I was running between the two, putting documents on one and photos on the other, <laughs> and, like, and being really physical on the stage, and it just it, it transformed my life. Yeah. Because suddenly I discovered a different way of making an audience laugh. Sure. And it was really exciting. <laughs> and the other thing it did, because when I did stand-up, when you're doing stand-up, especially in like Edinburgh, and it's a one-man show... People come on in to sit in the audience and they see a microphone in a stand on the stage in a spotlight. And they go, all right, stand up. I know that. I know what I'm doing here. And a lot of them are people who wanted to see somebody else, but their show's full. And so they've, they've ended up seeing you instead. And if they wanted to see Frank Skinner, they'll come and tell you afterwards that you weren't blue enough. And if they wanted to see David Mitchell, they'll come up and tell you afterwards you weren't clever enough. And they, they all think, I know what stand up is and that's not it. <laughs> But when they walk into a theatre and sit down and there isn't a stand with a microphone in in the middle, there's two projector screens and there's an overhead projector here and a slide projector there. They go, fucking hell, I don't know what this is. (laughs) And they accept it. You don't have to persuade them to come to your thing anymore. They go, oh, this must be a thing. I've never seen anyone do this before. Always quite clever. And they they get into it in a different way and they don't have that preconceived notion of what it should be. Yeah. Which is really useful. (laughs)
0: Yeah. But then you've created, you know, that out of that, and sort of accidentally or, you know, yeah. organically, you've created a, a, I mean, more or less a new genre, right? I mean, there were people who who did had screens and things and might have illustrations of their show, but I think the the adventure part of it, yeah, certainly for those next few shows, that was it was all about can I can I achieve this in time? What will happen if I attempt this? Yeah,
2: I think the the danger is that can become. A contrivance. Yeah. And there's a sort of... Um, that my favourite ever review was for... I think it was for Google Act. And the, the guy said, I hate Dave Gorman. I didn't want to review Dave Gorman. I've seen so many people fucking copying Dave Gorman. And he's created all this shit. <laughs> but I had to go and watch this. Oh, oh my God, it's actually fucking good. <laughs> and he was so surprised that he liked it, that it, it makes for this really amazing review. Yeah. And the thing that he'd seen... The reason he didn't like me, I think, and I've, I know I'm blowing smoke up my own fundament and I apologise, was he'd seen things... His view of what I did was, having never seen it, but he thinks I'm walking on stage and say, Hi, my name's Dave Gorman and I want to meet as many people called Dave Gorman as I can. Let's go.
3: <laughs> and yeah. who gives
2: a shit about that? And actually, the first 15 minutes of that show is me saying, so I was here, and I was having this conversation, and somebody said this, and then I found out this. And one of them put together, so we ended up getting on a train, went here to me, and 15 minutes in, everyone's thinking, well, of course, we're going to try and find another one. <laughs> <laughs> because they've gone on the journey with you and discovered how and why you're doing it, and the reason you're doing it isn't, I've got an idea for a show, I'm going to do this thing. And he imagined that's all it was, yeah,
0: yeah.
2: and then he's seen another one, and... And effectively I've tickled the trout. I've I've he's gone, Ah oh, it's not all made up and hokey. It's actually real and he's fall, he's got into it. And it's it's a delight and I and I I think I suffered from and the reason I sort of retreated after a while of doing it was people think you're going, I've got another wacky idea. Let's go. And it's I think that's shit as well.
0: <laughs> well, you've got, you, I think you, you know, because it would have to escalate, it would have to get bigger and bigger, I think. And, yeah. and also, it's so, of, it's so of a time in a person's life yes. that you would be able to do. If you went out now and now went, I'm going, sorry, family, I'm going around the world <laughs> to find everyone with the exact same penis as me, and I'm going to put that in a show. It's a good idea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, it would. It, we couldn't. You couldn't do it as a middle-aged man. No. But and, and even as a. Again, it's this sort of. Pri- it is a sort of privileged position, isn't it? That uh, yeah. That yeah. we found that we have as comedians have found ourselves in. In that. You, you know, there's nothing else. And, and and in a way, a non-privileged position. Right. In our 30s, both of us were able to do things like that. Yes. Because we had nothing in our lives <laughs> <laughs> beyond our job, and our job yeah, yeah. was to yeah, be a yeah. silly prick. And see what and see what came of that, and 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 see what you could make out of that.
2: Yeah, and there is a sort of um, it's a it's a rewarding. It's a, well, it's a self feeding thing because you end up in a position where I think part of the appeal for it is, or was for it, that um, if you're having a dinner party conversation, right and you are the sort of person who's got a log store, so you might be having a dinner party conversation. And somebody says, oh, i got an email at work today, and it was was sent to the wrong person, because it turns out I've got the same name as a guy in Amsterdam. People might go, oh, you should go and meet him. And you can't, because you've got a car on the drive, and a mortgage, and a kid, and a dog to walk, and you've got to do the school run, and you can't do it. And being the person who's able to go, I'll go and do that. I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> it is a really liberating thing. Yeah. And then when telling people about it is rewarded, you maintain your ability to <laughs> to, to do it. Because yeah. you in doing it, you also inhibit your chances of, of having a dog t- <laughs> and a school run <laughs> and a thing because you're constantly away and travelling and doing this, that and the other. And you know, like I ended up I sort of toured Google Whack for like Three years and did like eight months in the States with it, where yeah. I sort of, which look, you know, there were times where it was really, really exciting, but that's also eight months where I didn't really see a friend. No. And I was just by myself in America with a yeah. tour manager I didn't like very much. And it was just sort <laughs> of weird. And I wouldn't want to go back and do it. I'm kind of glad I did it, although there were some weird. <laughs> uh, there was a section in that show where I talked about creationism. Uh, and in some parts of America that did not <laughs> yeah. go over especially well and I was in one place, I think it was in Cleveland, I can't remember uh, and for some reason a lot of the theatres had booked me for a week and some of them insisted on having matinees as well, so there were, I was sometimes doing like two shows on Saturday and, and then travelling on Sunday to a new town and doing another run and some towns were great and some were horrible and there was this one venue and they basically nobody had bought a ticket for the matinee. It was a glorious theatre. We sort of had two nice nights in it, three or four tough nights, and a matinee with nothing. Right. And what they ended up doing was contacting a local old people's home <laughs> and bussing in a bunch of people who had never heard of me, have no desire to see a show, We're just put on a bus and take them to a show. Yes. <laughs> To be performed by a reluctant man who thought, (laughs) why didn't we all just say, let's not do this show, this is silly. And when I got to the creationism bit, there were walkouts. But one of the walkouts was a guy with an oxygen tank. (laughs) And it had a wonky wheel on it. And the theatre was about four times as deep as this. And this very, very elderly man breathing into an oxygen tank with a big, heavy wheeze, taking one step at a time, at a time, and every step accompanied by a... ..of the wonky wheel, I had a five-minute-long, noisy (laughs) walkout from an octogenarian who hadn't wanted to come in the first place. (laughs) that was a dark time on stage. (laughs) And difficult to do anything about.
0: Go, look at you! Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Also, you know, if you believe that this is God's plan and that creationism is correct, he hasn't dealt you a fucking great (laughs) hand, does he, mate? Come on. (laughs)
0: Well, look, bloody hell, uh, this is, I, I, I generally thought we'd done about 25 minutes and we've been uh, d- going a little longer than that. So we'll It's have the to... crossword chat. It was good. The crossword chat was... Yeah. was, was I'm just trying to think up some clues. But I haven't got <laughs> anything yet. I was trying to think up a Ted Rogers, like Ted Rogers, and then a, you could have an anagram, couldn't you? Because Ted fucks Yeah. Up the next bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Ted Rogers 321, and the answer is 123. <laughs> <laughs> but then Ted doesn't make up... You need the, Ted, the Ted needs to mean something.
2: Yeah, but maybe if you, if it was uh, a down clue and, and you had the answers for three down, two oh. down, and one down, yeah, then Rogers three two one could be an anagram of the first three answers. All
0: right, let's do that. That would
2: that would work. Oh,
0: it'd be so funny. It'd be so funny when they've worked it out.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Once all the all the thirty five year olds have explained to them what Ted Rogers three two one is. <laughs>
0: Right, I was going to ask you this, I'll ask you this. I, don't, uh, this. I don't know why this came up today as I was just sitting there. Because I'm thinking about things like this all the time. One day will be the last time you are ever thought about. The last time a joke of yours is played or a book you've written is read. How many years in the future do you think that's going to be for you? Because <laughs> you die, right? There's, there's three yeah. deaths, are There's the death and there's the actual physical death. There's the death of everyone who knew you. And then there's the death of... The, the last time you're remembered? Yeah. When do you think the last time you'll be remembered well. is? I reckon I've got 500 years. <laughs> <laughs> because, I tell you why? Well, I, I because, think it's because you're including mentions of herring. <laughs> <laughs> I think, because I've, I've written a daily blog for... Basically, near well, nineteen years, and yeah. hopefully it'll be a few more years <laughs> than that. Yeah, uh, and I think in five hundred years, and it's being archived at the British Library, and I think in five years time, someone might go, oh, "I wonder what people in uh, twenty twenty were thinking about." Yeah, and the coronavirus, was on I'll look at that guy's blog. So that that could still happen as an historical thing. That's my theory. Okay, ten thousand years.
2: <laughs> I um, I sort of. I want my obituary to be a sort of um, a Shelley Winters obituary. Okay. A Shelley Winters obituary is when the moment you find out someone was still alive (laughs) is the moment you find out they are now dead.
0: Yeah.
2: That you see the obituary and go, oh, fuck, I thought they died ages ago. (laughs) Oh, oh, they're still alive. no, they're not. Yeah, they're dead. Um, And... I, I want to be that. I want to have yeah. faded into oblivion and to have people think, because I haven't thought about him for ages. I thought he was dead. So you'd I'd, like I'd the, quite like to sort of just disappear. You'd and like then.
0: people to have not thought about you while you're still
2: alive. <laughs> <laughs> you're still yeah. alive and
0: no-one's thought about
2: you. Yeah. And then you yeah. die and they go, well, oh. not Not my family, but, but <laughs> I'd, I'd like my family to still be thinking about me while I'm alive, but yeah. I, I, I like the idea of strangers <laughs> ceasing to be concerned. And genuinely, yeah, I think it'd no, no, be, be nice to be able to... You know, being an old folks' home, thinking. <laughs> I can see it from that guy's point of view now with the <laughs> oxygen tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody else there knowing that's what's playing through your mind. That actually yeah. does appeal to me. So I'm sort of not worried about it. I have, um, the word "gormanesque" has appeared in, in at least two other comedians' reviews. Right. And that's a weird thing that i so there's the possibility of that existing and so someone going i wonder what that means and in a way that would that would count um but um i'm sort of i'm 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 kind of unconcerned about it because i will be dead yeah so who cares well what if it's like uh that film usually glib my now six year old is about death. Yeah. Are your how are your children? Yeah, they about well, it?
0: they talk about it a lot, but yeah. yeah, they don't really get what it is. Yeah, and yeah, they sort of. I don't think they understand the finality of it, but uh, I, I, maybe they do.
2: I think so. My mum was visiting recently, and. Uh, the the weekend she was visiting was the same weekend as they have the Bournemouth Air Show, which is like there's like a million people come into town and the Red Arrows fly over and the, the, the French version of the Red Arrows fly over and it goes on for three days and it's a really big deal. And on the Monday morning, I was driving Eric to school and my mum wanted to come with him and have a look at his school from the car and whatever. Uh, and Eric had decided over the weekend that when he was older, he wants to be a Red Arrows pilot. Uh, so we're driving along, and Eric says, "I'm going to be a Red Arrows pilot when I'm older." And my mum says, "Well, I hope you'll give me a lift when you when you're Red Arrows. Can I have a, a, a lift in your plane?" And he just went, "You'll be dead by then." <laughs> 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 and he's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you can't deny the boy; he's right. <laughs> And he, there's just lots of that at yeah, the moment. no, you know, there, yeah, there is. Which I sort of think is, is okay, and, and it means we have lots of conversations about it and things.
0: Yeah.
2: And he wanted to. I, I have a. My mum's dad, there's a thing in my family called De Poitrians contraction or something. Which is Margaret Thatcher had it. Bill nye got it. Your fingers—they are are they in your family? No, but okay. It's a, its also known <laughs> what a as family. The, this is—it's a thing known as the Viking claw. Okay. Uh, lots of people with Viking blood get it, and their fingers start to do that, and you can't straighten them. And, and nowadays, my mum's got an operation for hers coming up in in a few days' time. My older brothers had it. My uncles had it. There's a lot of it in the family. Um, and but in the olden days, they couldn't do the operation they do now. And they—my granddad had two fingers missing on that hand and one on that hand because, effectively, you, you end up with a useless hand unless you cut a finger off. Right. Uh, and for some reason, I don't know how that came up in, in a conversation, but I told Eric about my granddad having these missing fingers and, like, he sits on that information for three days and then says, you know your granddad with fingers? Yeah.
0: Will I ever meet him? <laughs>
2: Well, no, he's, he's, he's no longer alive. Why? <laughs> because he'd be 130. <laughs> oh, OK. Has he still not got his fingers? <laughs> well, he hasn't got anything. But I'll never meet him. And he just sort of like the... Death is not an emotional thing to him. And yeah. he has said, will you die? And we've said, yes, we will. And he is not. Like, you feel like that's a really dangerous subject to broach with a child and they're going to have sleepless nights and they're going to be... And he's just not remotely worried about it. (laughs) Maybe he's going on the killing spree. (laughs) Oh, shit. I'm going to be talked about for 600 years as the father of a murderer.
0: Well, look, Dave, we're going to have, we have to wrap it up because we've done so, such a long interview already and it's gone flown by. And we, Thank you so much for uh, coming all the way from Bournemouth. To do it's this. my pleasure. Some part of the way on your bike. I did cycle some of the journey, yeah. yes. <laughs> so that's pretty The cool. final part. Okay. <laughs> the last 10 metres. Yeah. Um, it's been really lovely to see you again. Ladies and gentlemen, amazing Dave Gorman. Thank he is much. Dave Gorman. <laughs> he is. We'll be back next week. See you then. Goodbye. You have been listening to Rahalastapa, with me, Richard Herring and my guest, Dave Gorman. Thank you to Scant Regard for playing the music. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. I'm indebted to Chris Evans, not that one, and everyone from GoPastTheStripe.com. I'm indebted to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre. Thank you to Captain McKeegan for her fantastic website, Rahalastapa.Rahalastapa.com, which helps me not ask the same questions twice too often. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Go to GoFasterStripe.com. You can buy my books and also downloads of all my stand-up shows and become a Badger, monthly Badger. Why not, my fan friends? Why not? Help us make more podcasts. Goodbye.
1: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
0: Thanks again for listening to the podcast, richardherring.com slash ballbackslash tour or com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Go com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.